listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. It's not every day that I get to play music with my two sons. That's kind of cool, right? That's pretty fun. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody have a good week. Feels like we don't have as much light on going on in here. Are y'all dark? Am I dark? I don't know what's going on. At any rate, how maybe you know what, Eugene? Maybe the the dimmers need to come up a little bit. Maybe that's what it is. I just I feel gloomy in here. Y'all feel gloomy? We're brighter now. Ah, uh, hey, yes, the light is on. I like it. January, we're just kind of looking that as our New Year reminder month. We'll be here uh, for the next couple of weeks till the end of this month, and then we'll have some uh, special speakers coming in. We're going to have, uh, in the month of February, we're going to have our uh, uh, mission strategist, for the Ridge Baptist Association, Mike Petty is going to come. He's been here before. He's going to come share a word with us the first week of February. And then the second week, uh, the director of Youth for Christ of Polk County, Eric Holm, is going to come and uh, share God's word with us that second week. And then uh, Chad's going to be the third week. And Michael Shannon's going to round us off in the month of February. While my wife and kids, we're all back in kids' ministry and that's what we do every February. We love to be back there with the kids, and we'll have a whole lot of fun. And that's also when I get reminded every year of how important it is for me not to preach as long as I preach, because I'm back there with them, and I get it. The kids' ministry folks, they have to love me, but they're mad at me for a month out of the year, I guarantee you, because they're like, can't you not say that a little quicker? Could you not pack it all together? And, And the bottom line is, no, I can't. I've tried, and it's just not possible. But maybe we'll try a little harder. New Year reminders. We looked at the Old Testament character of Caleb the first week of January. And from Caleb's attitude, the way he responded to God's word, and then how God blessed him through his time in the wilderness and then gave him the opportunity to continue representing his great name in the conquest of the promised land. We looked at Caleb and we saw a man who wholly followed the Lord. We can say that because the scripture defined Caleb as one who wholly followed the Lord. And we encouraged one another in 2023, nothing could be more of a priority to followers of Jesus than to seek daily to wholly follow the Lord. If every day we would ask the Lord to show us areas of our life that we are not wholly following Him, I promise you, He'll have something to show you. He'll have something to show me every day If our desire is to wholly follow him, he will show us arenas that we have work to do. So we encourage one to wholly follow the Lord. And then last week, we looked at a man with a weird name. His name was Jabez. And Jabez was one who asked God for more. He said, God, I've been given a name that that sounds a lot like pain, a lot like sorrow, a lot like grief. And everyone around me is expecting me to live a life defined by my earthly name. But God, would you give me more of your blessing? 
Would you give me more of opportunity to serve you? God, would you keep your hand on me? Would you guide me? Would you lead me? And God, would you, by your grace, keep me from the path that will lead me into pain and suffering? Verse number 10 of that chapter in 1 Chronicles says, And God granted him everything he asked. And so he said, as, as we seek to wholly follow the Lord, let us be bold to ask God for more. More of what he wants in us and through us. And I believe that is in fact what asking in the name of Jesus is all about. And Jesus says, if you ask anything according to my will and my purpose, I'll give it to you. So we encouraged one another to ask God for more. Today, we want to be reminded of our responsibility when things do, and they will if they've not already gone sour between us. You know, those personal conflicts can happen. Sometimes we can see it coming. Other times we walk away in broken fellowship with someone saying, where did that come from? How did that just happen? I was just dropping by to say hello, and now I'm going home and we're mad with one another. Because as human beings, in brokenness with sin in our life, we are consistently scarring one another because we're rough on the edges and we bruise and we bump and we hurt each other. Because of that, we have to be reminded that we are called to restoration. We are called to reconciliation. Today we want to look at a couple of characters. A couple of New Testament characters, one of which had a letter written specifically for him, but then has been read in the congregation for, for nearly 2,000 years over it. We're going to look at the two characters named Philemon and Onesimus. To get to that idea, let's just give you a little bit of background on a city called Colossae. Colossae was a city about a hundred miles inland from Ephesus. Ephesus was right on the corner, right on the seashore of Asia Minor. Just about a hundred miles to the east, you would find the city of Colossae. Around Colossae, you would find two cities in the same valley, the city of Hierapolis and the city of Laodicea. Now, if you've studied or read your New Testament, you're thinking those two names sound familiar. They do pop up in the New Testament, though nothing specific in a letter written to them. But these three cities in the Liker Valley in Asia Minor, about a hundred miles east of Ephesus. In the city of Colossae, a church had been planted. But Paul did not plant this church. In fact, we discover in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae that very likely a man by the name of Epaphras is who planted that church because Epaphras is mentioned in verse number 7 of chapter number 1 as one who had been teaching the people there in the city of Colossae. But Paul and Epaphras are 
partners in ministry. We'll discover that as we read this little small letter of Philemon. They were partners in ministry. And Paul apparently knew some of, if not many of, the believers in the city of Colossae, even though he did not plant that church. Well, just to kind of give you a little background of what we're going to discover, this man Philemon, who seems to have lived in Colossae, was a wealthy individual, a wealthy Colossian, who had become a believer as a result of Paul's ministry. Chances are very great that from Colossae, Philemon and others had traveled to Ephesus where Paul had been stationed for a number of months and had heard Paul preach and had come to faith in Christ as a result of hearing the gospel that Paul was proclaiming. You say, well, how do you know that this man Philemon was a wealthy man? Well, it seems very likely that his wealth is to be understood in the fact that he was a slave owner and that a church was meeting in his house. We'll find that as we read here in just a minute. But to, to kind of deal with that thing that goes contrary to us when we hear slave owner, we need to make sure that we don't allow what we know of slave ownership in the 1800s America to define what slave ownership meant in the biblical New Testament time in the Middle East and in Southern Europe. You see, Rome had a very common practice, the Greeks and the Romans, that if you were unable to pay your financial debts, you borrowed money from a wealthy individual, and then you were responsible for paying them back. If you were not able to pay them back, then you could, as a means of settling your debt, sell yourself into slavery where you would then work for the slave owner for the for the majority of of well the majority the full length of what you owed at times it could be for the rest of your life but you were not dragged from your homeland and put into slavery like we think the slave traders and antebellum south that's not the way it was Although also don't assume that slaves were always treated kindly. Many of them were, but not all of them were, and they didn't have to be treated kindly. But at the end of the day, the slave was your resource, and if you treated them unkindly, then they would not be able to make for you the money you would make. And so therefore, in the norm, you could be a slave and be living in very posh circumstances. You could be living in a very nice neighborhood with very fineries of life, and yet you were working off your debt. I'd say that not to cause you to think less of slavery. Slavery was never God's intention, but it was certainly the norm in the Roman world. In fact, I read in a couple of, uh, a couple of folks said that over one-third of the entire Roman population was slaves. Many of the people were having to work off financial debt as slaves. Philemon was someone who was wealthy because he had slaves and it seems that he has a church meeting in his home so it was big enough for several if not many to attend. 
Onesimus, we're not going to hear in this letter, but it appears that Onesimus was a runaway slave. Now, we don't know what the circumstances were for Onesimus leaving his home, but it seems as though he is absent without permission. He's AWOL, absent without leave. And so Onesimus, being away from his slave owner, comes into contact with Paul, who is in the city of Rome. Now, that bothers a lot of Bible students because they think, wow, from Colossae to Rome would be a very long, very expensive way to go. So it causes us to think Onesimus very well might have done something pretty bad trying to get away from his master. Or maybe Onesimus knew there was someone in Rome that his slave owner, his owner Philemon, knew very well and was seeking an audience. At any rate, Onesimus comes into contact with the Apostle Paul. Onesimus becomes himself a follower of Jesus as a result of the evangelism of Paul who's in prison in Rome. Philemon comes to know Christ and he begins to serve Paul in prison and he's very beneficial to Paul. It seems as though Paul is desiring for Onesimus to stay there with him and to serve him and to bless him. But Onesimus has a moral and a financial obligation back in Colossae. So Paul sends him home to face the music. And with him, they carry a letter to the Colossian believers in your New Testament, you know as Colossians, and another smaller letter delivered directly to Philemon. Let's read this little letter of 25 verses. <coughs> but I'm better than I was last week. All right, let's read. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, who is here with us as well, to Philemon our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister. Some think maybe this is Philemon's wife. We don't know. Maybe she's just another believer. And uh, Archippus, our fellow soldier. Well, maybe that's Philemon's son or brother. Or maybe it's just a Roman soldier who also came to know Christ who lives in Colossae. Nevertheless, Philemon knows who they are. And the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't you just imagine the look on everybody's face gathered up together when the letter was brought to the church gathered and Onesimus was in the room? As he comes with Tychicus, who we find out in Colossians is the one who's bringing the letter, there stands Onesimus. Everybody knows he's been gone. Everybody knows that was wrong, illegal. Oh boy, what's he going to do? Here's the letter. Paul says, verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers, because I hear of your love 
and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, many of which were slaves. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And I hope your influence on others just continues to grow. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, Philemon, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul's not baiting Philemon. Paul is not flattering Philemon. Paul is not saying things to butter him up. Philemon's a good dude. Philemon was an authentic, genuine follower of Jesus who was using his life and his resources for the cause of Christ. And word had gotten all the way back to Paul in Rome that, man, Philemon's faith is genuine. He's making disciples, Paul. He's reaching and teaching, man. He's getting out there. And folks are coming to Jesus through the ministry of this rich man there in Colossae. But Paul does have an agenda. Verse number 8. Accordingly, accordingly what? Accordingly to everything I've just said to you. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. You say, why why would he be bold enough to command you? Well, he is an apostle, but we'll get to it as soon as Paul gets to it. Though I could be bold enough to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man. And now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Well, now wait a minute. Onesimus is not Paul's son. That's correct. But he explains. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. How has he become the son of Paul by faith, believing? Now, now, Jesus, you remember, he told his apostles, he says, call no one father. And, and by that, he was referring to that authority that is, that is supernatural. Don't call anybody on earth a supernatural father. There's only one father, and there's only one Savior, and that's me. Paul's not disobeying the words of Christ here. He's just saying, I I, I presented the gospel to Onesimus Philemon, and and just like you, he's become a a son of my ministry. I'm I'm, I'm like a spiritual father to him. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, someone led you to Christ. Someone walked you into the knowledge of who you are in reality because of what God's Word says. And they told you about God's love for you and about Jesus' uh, substitution in your place for your sin as a Savior for you has come and invited you to accept that free gift of salvation. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, somebody was involved in that. Some of you know exactly who it was, and you can call their name. You can think about them, and you do often. as kind of like a spiritual mother, spiritual father for you, coming to trust Christ. Paul says, verse 12, Now I'm sending him back to you, 
sending my very heart. Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back. I know, I know there's an issue. I, I, I know he's in the wrong, but, but understand, I'm sending him back to you and, and he's carrying my heart because he's just as dear to me as you are. It's like he, he came to Christ and just reminded me and I'm sending him back. I know he's supposed to come back. But I just want you to know how dear he is to me. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. I would have loved to have just said, Onesimus, I know, I'll write him a letter. I'll let him know what you're doing. I would have loved to have just kept him here with me. But I know that wouldn't have been the right thing to do. Wouldn't have been right for me to overstep. Wouldn't have been right for him to assume. I'm sending him back to you to do what he's supposed to do. But I preferred to do nothing, verse 14, without your consent. In order that your godliness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I knew I could have just kept him and sent you word that he was with me and to just let bygones be bygones and you would have done it because that's the kind of guy you were. But I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to rob you of the chance to do what was right. So I'm sending Onesimus back. I didn't want to rob him of the opportunity to do what's right. So I'm sending him back. Verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Wait a minute. Have him back forever? So you're, you're suggesting that he might double his sentence? He's like, no. Philemon, I, I want to plant a seed in your mind. Onesimus had not come to Christ there in Colossae, though I know he'd been hearing about Christ there in Colossae. Oh, I know he did. You've been sharing it. Your, your house has been devoted to the cause of Christ. Is it possible that his running away was actually the purpose for which he was gone to come to know Jesus? So that when he comes back to you, you'll have him forever. Verse 16. No longer a bond, sir. I'm not talking about his servitude to you, but that you might have him forever, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh, yeah, he owes you a debt, but even more so in the Lord. You, you think, Philemon, it's possible that the trouble he caused you actually has resulted in the joy that you will experience in his returning verse 17 so if you consider me your partner receive him as you would receive me receive onesimus back with as much joy and open arms as you would receive me if he's wronged you at all if any monies or anything is gone or, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. If he owes you anything extra, if he's caused you any trouble, just add it to my account. I'll pay you back. To say nothing 
of your owing me even your own self. Well, what was that? I think that was a jab. You know, Paul had a sly side to him as well. You remember him and, him and Barnabas probably wrestled around out in the front yard over whether or not Mark was going to go with them a second. He'd have hurt me one night. He ain't going with me again. He had, a, he, he had a little sly side. He probably a short fella, you know. He just probably bowing up at everybody. I think this was a jab. I think this was Paul going, not to mention, you owe your belief to my man. Who knows what the circumstances were of Philemon coming to know Christ? Who knows what that, but there's a story in this, but we only have the one little line. Look, do I need to tell everybody about, no, 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 not even to mention you came to Christ yourself as a result of my preaching the gospel to you. So I could, I could play that card, but I'm not. But I kind of did. But I'm not. No, no, look, I want you to make up your own mind. Verse 21, it's kind of like when we say in our emails, thank you in advance. You know, thanks in advance for your helping me out. He says, confident in your obedience. You know, I'm days away from hearing about what you did. It's going to take a long time for your response to get back to me. But I am confident in your ability. Is he being manipulative? No. Manipulators try to get you to, to make a choice to benefit them. Encouragers, disciplers, those that are wise in the faith will do all they can do to try to try to leads you to a choice that's only going to benefit you and the cause of Christ. So Paul's not manipulating. Paul's trying to continue to disciple his first spiritual son, at least first before Onesimus, Philemon. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers... I will be graciously given to you. And go ahead and set up a room. I'm confident y'all praying for me, and I'm just believing that God's going to release me, and I'm going to be able to go. A lot of scholars believe that Paul was, in fact, released from this particular imprisonment, and maybe it was that he got to see his friend there in Colossae. He, he ends off with saying, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. They know him. He was pastoring that church. We know about that in the letter of Colossians. Paphras said to tell y'all, hey, in the name of Christ, he sends his greeting. And also do Mark. Wait a minute. I thought that's the one that Paul did not want to uh, go with them because of his failure. Yeah, that's the same one. So what are we seeing? Paul's already preached this message to himself because now Mark's back with him. And so does Mark. Mark says, hey, too. (laughs) And Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, either Philemon read that in private with Onesimus sitting right there in front of him, or maybe he was bold enough to read it publicly since it was coming from the apostle. Nevertheless, Paul says, Philemon, you've been a 
a genuine and an upstanding follower of Jesus. And we all know it and we all see it. Now, now Philemon, what we need you to be today is a champion of restoration. A champion of restored fellowship. We know that the situation has caused the relationship, the circumstance to be broken. Now, you need to, in the name of Jesus, be one who carries the cross of reconciliation. And I'm confident in your obedience. Onesimus was returned at Paul's leading with an attitude of contrition and submission to the one that he had wronged. You know, wrongs don't always have to be intentional to be legitimate. In this particular circumstance, it seems like that the wrong was intentional. Onesimus left of his own accord. He, he did a wrong. He knew what he was doing and he did it. And at times, we intentionally do things that hurt others. Maybe we wish we hadn't. Maybe we planned to do it all along. But there are times when intentional wrongs break fellowship. But unintentional wrongs hurt just as bad. You know, it is when you, when you say something that, that hurts another, that you, you didn't even know was hurtful. Literally, you didn't know that what you were saying was hurtful. You never intended to bring hurt to the table. But the fact that you said it at that time in those circumstances that you were unaware of, your unintention still hurt the other just as bad. We all have been hurt but just as much we all have hurt others amen we know what it feels like to be hurt by another in fact when I even say to be hurt by another you probably had someone come to your mind in fact it's even possible Maybe, maybe more than possible that when it comes to someone who has hurt you, maybe I come to your mind. Maybe I've said something to you, unintentional or intentional, that has hurt. You know what? Because we all hurt each other. We just do. And one of the best things that we can allow ourselves to come to, to the realization of is that we are hurtful. We hurt others even as followers of Jesus we hurt to apologize is to accept responsibility for the wrong you have caused and to be truly sorry for the brokenness that has been caused without excuse or justification for your actions. It's what I call owning it. When you apologize to something, you don't say, well, if I said anything to hurt you, I'm sorry. You know what that does? That says, maybe I didn't say anything to hurt you. When you apologize, you say, well, look, 
I know what I said hurt you, but I didn't mean it that way. Or you took it the wrong way. So really, your hurt is your fault because you took it the wrong way. Then what I said, I said, let me tell you how I said it. I said it this way and you took it another way. So really, I'm, my apology is just to help you see that you're the one in the wrong. And if you get your act straight, then we can get along better. That's not an apology. An apology says, I'm sorry that I hurt you. A good apology says, I'm sorry when I said and then repeat what you said. I understand that that hurt you. And I want you to know that I am genuinely sorry that I hurt you. With my word, with my action, with my email, with my text, whatever it was, I'm genuinely sorry that I hurt you. That's an apology. That's owning it. Some of, the, some of the older folks who lived in what I think is better times back when dudes wore fedoras, I think that was a better time. How cool was that to get to wear an Indiana Jones hat around all the time? That's cool, you know. They say, yeah, but Kevin, you had to wear a suit too. I like it where I'm at, okay? But back in the old times, you would understand that term hat in hand when you owned and you, you held your hat in hand while you spoke to the one seeking mercy or grace or a loan or whatever it was, you had in hand, owning it. That's an apology. You see, Onesimus was not sent back to explain to Philemon why he left, although there was probably a good reason. Maybe there was a fantastic reason. The problem is he left without permission. He, he was gone when he should not have been gone. He broke the law. He had a moral responsibility to his owner. You say, that's a moral situation. Now, listen, we talk about that all day long, but the bottom line is, is that Paul has already instructed through the churches for bond servants to be obedient, good servants, serving masters, even bad masters, but serve them as you would Christ. And if you can get free, get free. If you can't, be Christ-honoring servants. So he sent him back to own it. I think that was the whole point. Paul, Paul said, I could have kept him here, but I knew that Onesimus needed to own it. So he sent him back. Now, is it possible that Philemon could have legally said, you know what, Onesimus, I, I hear you, and I love you, but you got to pay for that. Could he have done that legally? Certainly he could. But Paul's saying, but, but here's what I'm counting on. Philemon, I'm counting on you being above and beyond what you could be legally because of who you are as a follower of Jesus. And I just believe you're going to see Onesimus as a brother and not a criminal. As we think about being a champion of restored fellowship, a champion of restoration, a champion of reconciliation, we got to be and we got to seek to become people who are quick to say, I'm sorry. Some of that comes easy. There's probably half of you in here that say, I'm sorry, very easy. And you're married to the other half of the people in here. That say, I'm not sorry. I don't have, that's not as easy. 
That's just kind of the way things work out, right? That's okay. We've all got to become and learn how to be people who are broken that we break and hurt others, whether we mean to or not. New Year reminder, let's be folks who own our wrongs. But there was something Philemon had to do as well. Onesimus had to own it. But Philemon had to forgive it. Now what's aggravating about this idea of forgiveness we learn elsewhere in the New Testament is the one who hurt is not required to own it before the one who has been hurt is required to forgive it. And that really stinks. See, it ought to be, I can stay mad at you and I can hold on to this till you're ready to own it. As soon as you're ready to own it, well, I'll have to let go of it. But until then, you're in that tiny little box squeezed up tight. God says, wrong. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. Because you know what? We got a couple of folks going on. And, and it might take the one who needs to own it a whole lot longer to own it. But I want you to forgive it for the same reason. Because it's what you're supposed to do. Paul could have demanded it. He could have said, do it because I said so. We try that as parents, don't we? We try to make them, to tell them, you're sorry. I'm sorry. Say it, I'm sorry. Hug him. And what do they do? They grab a hold and, and they hug. And if they're bigger, they squeeze. I want to get you. Sorry. Because you can't force it. You can't make it happen. What Paul's saying is, well, what I'm hoping that you'll see, your responsibility and that you'll be moved by love. And you'll recognize that the, the answer to the question, what does love demand of me? Love demands that I forgive. Paul knew the powerful example to the church this forgiveness would be. He knew that if this guy who owned the other, who, who was in the right, and this one who was in the wrong, he knew that if Philemon would forgive his brother, what that would do influentially in the hearts and minds of those watching. He knew that if there were others who were outside of the faith that heard about this, that they too might be intrigued by what would cause someone to forgive, that they didn't have to forgive. And it would be an open door to the gospel. It would be an encouragement to those that were already watching. Paul knew how powerful this would become. And he believed that Philemon would do what a follower of Jesus should do. Now, we don't know if Philemon forgave Onesimus or not. We don't have any record that said he did and everything was fine. But don't you find it interesting that that little letter has been read and reread and reread all over the church, circulated all through that valley? It seemed to have been a strange thing. Had Philemon said, I'm not going to do it, he would have probably thrown that letter in the fire. But that it has been circulated. Don't you think that chances are pretty good that Philemon hurt, maybe even left uh, in a negative situation as a result of the actions of this one he was counting on? Don't it seem 
likely that he made the choice to forgive and embrace Onesimus as his brother. And I'd like to think that Onesimus got to pack up his stuff and go back to Rome where Paul was still located. I'd like to think that, but I don't know. You know, forgiveness is a tricky thing because we've all been hurt and sometimes that hurt is so severe that what is really needed is a whole lot of support and a whole lot of help and when the person doesn't change their mind about being the kind of of one who hurts others and that hurt is very severe sometimes that relationship can't be restored Because it's too toxic, because it's too dangerous, because it's not something that you could safely walk into. And you know what? In in times like that, those things need to be considered. And I think a, a wise body would come around and help that individual navigate, can this relationship be restored? Should this relationship go back to the way it was because maybe it can't ever be the way it was? And those things need to be considered. Forgiveness is not saying what you did was okay. Forgiveness is not saying that what you did, though it was not okay, I'm going to forget it and we're going to act like nothing happened. No. All forgiveness is, is saying, God, I was hurt. And what is within me wants to hold that person accountable to me for the wrong that they did to me. But God, I want to let go of what they owe me, and I want you to have that. I want to take what they did to me. I want to take the hurt and the harm that they've caused on me, and I want to give that to you. I don't want to hold that anymore. I'm releasing them for what they owe me from what they did to me. But I'm giving that to you. Because I know you're going to do what's right with it. Forgiveness is letting go of my ability to hold them responsible to me. But I let them continue to be responsible to the Lord. If they refuse and they stand up against the Lord, they will face his mighty hand of judgment. But in the same way, we forgive because in the book of Colossians, interestingly enough, I don't have it for you to read on the screen, but Colossians chapter 2, 13, Paul said this, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him by forgiving us all our trespasses. And then we flip over to chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3, verse 13, where it says, Bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. It's beautiful when the offender owns it. And the offended forgives it that is so awesome when that happens and can I tell you what it always works when you have offended someone and and, and you go to them and own it it works whether they forgive you or not you're released from that that you've done 
When, when someone has harmed you and you forgive them, whether they own it or not, it releases you and it fulfills what you've been called to do. We're going to hurt one another. We have hurt one another. Let us be champions of restoration. Ask God to give you a heart that is quick to apologize without defense. And then ask God, who have I hurt? Who do I need to apologize to? You might be sitting right beside him. Ask God to give you his grace to forgive those who have offended you even before they apologize. And then ask him, Lord, who do I need to forgive? It may need to be right in front or behind you, right beside you. As we go into the new year with the desire to be restoring fellowship for the cause of Christ because he has forgiven us so much. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, there's a lot that we need to put to practice. I pray that you'll help us to know and to see the ones that we have hurt. Maybe God give those that have been hurt by us, give them the courage to remind us that we've been one that hurt. Or, or put somebody in my path, put somebody in our path that will remind us, hey, you know what? What you said hurt that person. What, what, what you did was harmful. What, what you did hurt them. It wounded them. God, give us the courage to own it, to call it what it is, not defend it, to own it with repentance and sorrow. God, give us the courage to forgive those that have hurt us. I pray for that one who's been hurt severely and is confused by that and is thinking, is it really that easy? I pray that you will help them to, to come and seek counsel and support. We want to be a place where people who have been harmed can find real safety and support. We need your help if we're going to help them to navigate that for your glory. So no, it's not that easy. But your grace is simple. And I pray that you will cause each one of us to run into those open arms of grace and mercy. As offenders, as offender, uh, those offended, help us to find your love and your way forward for your glory. Got to pray for that one that might not yet know Jesus as his or her Savior. May they recognize your great love for them and the way that has been provided by grace through faith in Christ, crucified and risen, and Christ alone, in our place for our sin, victorious as our King. Use us this week. We love you and we thank you. For us in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...